Welcome to the Leadership Zone. I'm your host, Sheila Walsh, Leadership Development Specialist, Coach and Researcher. The previous episode, we just spoke to Jocelyn about all things about creation and making the lives that we want and not just being focused on what's messing with us or the problems that we have. And I had a couple of thoughts, so I'm always going to do a little debrief after speaking to a guest. One of the first things that I want to say to you is if you haven't listened to the episode, pop back, really important. If you have listened to the episode, then we're on track. So one of the things I found interesting about Jocelyn's position is that Jocelyn's focus is on what we can create, where we're going, what we want to do, what we want to design, rather than on the shoulds and on the inherited defaults, whether that's because of our personality or that's because of our life circumstances. And it got me thinking about inclusion as always. And what is it that we are distracted by that adds value as well as what are we distracted by that doesn't add value? What do I mean by that? So I'll just use my dyslexia as an example. Dyslexia can be something that gives people a lot of excuses not to do something. That's a thing that can mess with you. And it does mess with people. And it often messes with me. It can also be a thing that inspires me to do more. So I'm doing my PhD and what's inspired me to do that is that I had a belief you couldn't do that if you were dyslexic because it's really hard to academically write. All of that is still true. It's still really hard to academically write, but it's not true that I can't do it. And so the challenges and the barriers that any of us experience can actually become the platform that we lead from, that we leverage off. So what I mean by this is there are barriers to inclusion all over the world. There are experiences people have all the time that whisper you don't belong or this isn't made for you or not your type, whatever that means. That is true for most people have different areas of experience of that. Some people have higher experiences because of multiple different barriers. Other people have lower experiences because they're not experiencing that type of rejection or that type of barrier as often. But most people I meet have faced different levels of barriers because within a system that there are rules about who is good enough and who isn't, what is right and what is wrong, all the shoulds. When there's these rules within systems, especially work systems and organisations, they will always put the measurement of a person before the person. And as long as that exists, we will all face barriers because we are just people doing life, doing the world. And one of the examples that Jocelyn pointed out in the previous interview was about imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome is one of the main things I talk with my clients about, with people I supervise, anyone I'm working with in organisations, because imposter syndrome is a thing. There's a definition for it. And it's basically where somebody's success has gone beyond their experience of it. So They're finding it hard to absorb their successes and to integrate them and to see that they belong in the setting and that they are valid and that they add value. However, that is now being collapsed with genuine experiences of being an imposter in a system. What do I mean by that? The workplace, your organisation was unconsciously built on a couple of assumptions that centre a particular norm. And a lot of people who do not meet that norm in your organisation have the experience, which some people are calling imposter syndrome, that they don't belong or that they're not good enough. And the thing is that if the system wasn't designed with them in mind, then it's not imposter syndrome. It's not something that is happening internally in their body. 
It is something that they are experiencing externally to them because the environment was not designed for them. It was not made for them. And so it's not imposter syndrome because it's not happening within them. It's not a lack and incongruence of adding the two worlds together. What it is instead is an acknowledgement that something is happening in the environment that reinforces that the environment wasn't built for me. And that doesn't have to be like overt, critical, harsh lenses. It can be very subtle things like the working day structure might not be designed for you. Access to different parts of the building might not be designed for you. The in-group might be a particular gender, a particular race, might have gone to a particular school. This isn't that the organisation has consciously gone out and created an environment with barriers. Often it's that the organisation is built on assumption and norms that create barriers that nobody has seen, but people from different experiences to what that norm was built for can feel it. And so I want to say that imposter syndrome is really important to think about. Is it that I am not collapsing my experience in the world and my successes with my internal feeling? That will likely be imposter syndrome. There'll be links below to follow up on that thinking. But if it's that the environment has these subtle cues that remind me it wasn't designed for me, not that it was designed against me, that can happen too, but it wasn't designed for me, they can be that subtle, then it's not imposter syndrome. It is the experience that this environment wasn't designed for you. And I say to most of the people I work with, that's a sign you should be there. Because if we continue the way we've been going and we continue not undoing these barriers and not highlighting them, then we're going to continue to have workplaces that are full of isms and that reinforce inequality in society because workplaces are microcosms usually of society. And so when we are in an environment and it hasn't been designed for us, at that point, we need to know that we are designing something. We are influencing and trying to move some of the unconscious norms that are no longer helpful, that no longer serve the purpose. They don't lead to greater creativity, innovation, inclusion, experiences of belonging, experiences of uniqueness. So if you're in an environment and you are getting these subtleties and you know that it's not internally in your world, it's externally, these subtle signals are occurring, you're aware that the environment wasn't designed for you, then you're in the right place and you are creating something in that location. So how you behave, how you feel, how you interact with the workplace is you designing something, which is something Jocelyn was talking about. And you have choices about how you design that. Do you design it as an activist? Do you design it as someone who's trying to co-create an organisation that is more inclusive? Do you design, do you co-design it with people to subtly shift their insight and their understanding? We have choices about how we do that. And I think what Jocelyn was talking about in terms of creating rather than just defaulting, every one of you listening is going to have an area of your life that defaults because that is just how things are. We default because sometimes it takes a lot of energy. And Jocelyn was really clear in the last episode that this isn't something you can just fall into. It's something you have to effort at, you have to engage with, you have to commit to. And I feel the same about most of the work with the leaders that I work with or the HR teams or the training development teams. Usually there's a default in our approach. And when we work together, we're trying to create something that's different, something that results in a different outcome. Think about it. We talk all the time 
about you know change and transformation in organizations and often we start using the same defaulted approaches so one of the first things i do when i'm working with organizations or leaders is partner with them to say what are you trying to achieve here what does great look like what is it that you deeply desire and why and that's why you'll see the leaders i work with have a set of leadership principles a leadership strategy that has nothing to do with the organization but instead who they are and the reason for those things is that they allow you to be connected to what you're doing. They reduce the odds of you being burnt out, frustrated, all of these things. So if you haven't listened to the episode, Jocelyn, go back. If you have, hopefully a couple of things I'm stating here are helpful, but I'd like to introduce you into thinking about the difference between your default and your designing. An exercise that I often use between defaulting and designing is getting people to think about the types of decisions that they've made in their lives that they deeply value. And then I ask clients to think about the decisions that they've made and they don't deeply value that they did out of automation. And we unpick the two of those slightly so that we can see what fed into the decision where you were designing something you really wanted and what fed into the decision where you were defaulting. What I have found is that for most of the people I work with, organizations and individuals, there is usually a commitment to creating something. But where the challenge can be is the how they create it might end up in default. So if you have a team and you're trying to motivate the team and reduce burnout and increase retention, then it is worth thinking about our why as a team. Not just your why, not just the organization's why, but our why as a team. Why do we come to work? What are we trying to achieve? How does that add value to our lives? And then the same is for you as an individual, regardless of your role in an organization. Your question is, what am I trying to achieve? Why did I come to this workplace? Why do I go to work? What impact do I want to have? These questions help you to reconnect to the things that matter, help you reprioritize. They help you center the life you're trying to create, the workplace you're trying to create, the leadership impact you're trying to create, rather than that messable stuff that Jocelyn was talking about, rather than getting distracted by what is messing with you. The other exercise I talked about in the previous recording was about this umbrella approach from Grit, and I cannot remember, the links will be below the author's name. Ultimately, in Grit, the author speaks about if you look back over your career, regardless of how different the roles are, if you look over where you volunteered, where you've engaged, where you've spent your time, you will start to see values in those activities. You will start to see a deeper connection and commitment to something that you're unconscious of. That's one of the first things I try to figure out when I work with leaders is their values their principles. And I don't do it by asking them because we have a cognitive dissonance between what we think our values are and how we're living our life and the decisions that we're making. And so one of the main things that you need to think about is what is my behavior? and What are my choices telling me about my values and my principles? Not what do I think they are? Because that's often where coaching goes awry with people is that we have a cognitive image of ourselves that might be quite disconnected from the unconscious motivators that engage us in our lives. And those unconscious motivators kick us into defaults that we don't even know are defaults. We don't even know what are motivating us. So if you're trying to find that connection with purpose, why, commitment, co-creation, design, rather than defaulting, reacting, being messed with, then it is definitely worth thinking about what you've engaged in, in the past, what has mattered to you, why it has mattered, what the value was within that activity, what you were trying to achieve. 
those things will bring you closer to making decisions about what you're trying to design. The other thing that's really worth thinking about is how you, as a person, interact in the world. Are there things that are motivating you? Are there whys that are actually your parents' whys or your social circle whys or your partner's whys? Sometimes people want to achieve things, as Jocelyn gave an example about actors winning an Academy Award, that they think will give them something. And actually the starting point is, is this my why? So when people work with me and they say, I want a new job, I say, why? And when they tell me everything that's wrong with the work that they're doing, I say, but why? What are you thinking you're going to get? If they want to do a course or they want to usually chase something that is externally achievable, like a course, a certificate, a master's, a PhD, a particular job title. When people are pursuing those things, I don't just believe them that they're important. I unpack with them why is that important. And the reason that we need to do this is that sometimes we are pursuing somebody else's goals or we are pursuing goals instead of self-esteem. We are looking for credits and knowledge and external validation before we listen to ourselves and hold ourselves to account in terms of what we care about, what's valuable to us and how we feel about ourselves. External accolades and things are very helpful in different career progression, but they shouldn't be the why. If you are always pursuing external gratification, external recognition, you're going to find that you're missing that part of yourself. You're missing that connection to who you are and who you want to be in the world. And instead, you're chasing these external short-lived validations so that you can feel good enough. I often, in a lot of the leadership training and development that I do, we talk about power and we talk about the types of power people have access to. And people are often really shocked that the only power that is infinite, that you have 100% control over, is your internal power, your empowerment. And that's connected to your self-esteem, not necessarily your confidence, but your self-esteem that's connected to the worth you think you have in the world. And so that power that we can source from within, that empowerment is the only power in this whole world that nobody else can mess with. It can't be taken from us. It can't be given to us. Now, people can impact it if you were bullied growing up or now if you are in a, a dynamic where somebody is harmful or degrading towards you, that can impact your self-worth, that can impact your empowerment, that internal power source. But you can actually intervene in that. You can stop that by making other choices. The other power sources people have a level of control over, not just influence. And that means that when you pursue those powers, you get a PhD and you thought that was really beneficial. And now you're in an organization and everyone has a PhD, so it now no longer holds power, for instance or you win a medal, but actually next year someone else wins the medal and so you lose the position. Happens all the time in sports. So we've got to think about where we're sourcing power from and how that impacts our sense of self and our sense of why and the decisions that we're making. Are we chasing, just like Jocelyn said, are we chasing something rather than experiencing it? And that waiting for when, I'm sure we've all contemplate it. We were taught it going to school, you must wait until you finish this exam, get this qualification. Then you've got to wait till you get this job. Then you've got to work your way up. There's a lot of waiting that we've been taught. And the reason for that is usually falling into some unhelpful power dynamics where we engage with systems, education, work systems, like there's a rule book about when we're worthy rather than an acknowledgement of when we have capacity to do something when we have competency to do something. And there is a discrepancy in the inclusion world between confidence and competence, because confidence is often linked to 
privileged experiences, positive affirmation, all of these things. Competence is linked to your ability to do the job. And we often conflate the two. And you'll know that from multiple other episodes. So I'm going to leave you with this point. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this debrief after talking to Jocelyn will help you unpack some of the things that you're thinking about. There will be links below for different supports and resources that might help you. And you'll find the same in the original interview with Jocelyn, where the links to all the resources she discussed are in the description. Now, before I go, you may not know this, but I have spent the last number of years bringing together different pieces of work from both industry and research, academic research around inclusive leadership in organisations. And there is a free resource with the link below, which is the Pocket Guide for Inclusive Leaders, Five Research-Driven Strategies, okay? You can get it below, it's a free gift, you can download it, and you can start to think about what you're creating in your workplace, what type of leadership you are designing, or are you just defaulting, and also what type of person you want to be when it comes to inclusion and inclusive leadership. Do you want to be someone that thinks they're inclusive rather than is inclusive? Do you want to be someone that uses research-driven approaches or a moral higher ground? And this is where this pocket guide brings together multiple different pieces of research and industry knowledge that has a direct impact on the experience of people you're working with and on your own leadership. And so if you're trying to create leadership that is really effective, inclusive leadership is an effective source of leadership. It is an approach that is worth considering. And so you can sign up below. If you have any questions, I'm going to be recording a Q&A section roughly monthly from any listeners. So you can always pop a message to hello at silewalsh.com with any questions and they will be answered anonymously on the podcast and on YouTube. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. And I really wish that what you create today and over the next number of weeks is something that is deeply connected to you and gives you energy, doesn't just take it from you. Thanks for being with me. Thank you for listening to The Leadership Zone. We can continue this conversation over on Twitter and my Twitter handle is at Sheila Walsh one or at LinkedIn, you'll find me under Sheila Walsh. To book a free consultation to discuss your leadership needs or the leadership development needs of your organization, simply visit my website, www.sheilawalsh.com and book a free leadership consultation. I look forward to hearing from you.